Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I interview Tim Roberts, speaker, thought provoker and the business owner on a mission to ignite your enthusiasm. Tim and I talk about a number of topics during this interview, including life-work balance, not the other way around, mental health, emotional intelligence, which Tim goes on to say is the most important thing for all of us to be more mindful of. Plus, he shares his thoughts on waiting. Tim says, put the music on that you love, wear the clothes you want to, and spend the time with the people who mean the most to you. Here's Tim. Tim, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you, get your thoughts on a few things and find out what you're up to. So thank you very much indeed. Uh, you're very welcome, Jeff, and thank you for inviting me to do this. You know I'm a fan of this podcast, so this is a bit of a kind of fun experience for me. So I'm very honoured that uh, you, you see me uh, as worthy of appearing on your podcast. So, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Well, you are worthy indeed, and, and it is an absolute pleasure having been able to spend a little bit of time with you this year and understand a little bit more about your journey. I think the timing is absolutely right uh, to have you on the show, and I'm looking forward personally to to what you're going to share with us. So uh, thank you again. Cool. Let's do it. Now, I share my views up front with each of my guests on work-life balance, and I very much see perfect imbalance as an alternative view on this. But what's your thoughts on work-life balance, Tim? Um, it's a fascinating topic, this, because I think it's very, very individual in terms of what we see. Is it? So for me, I prefer the term life-work balance because I think that's the order we should be aiming for. I think we're perhaps conditioned in, in life and society to think that it should be work first, then life. I also think this, this life-work balance is, is hugely important and it's hugely equally misunderstood. And I actually think a lot of that misunderstanding is actually caused by us as human beings going through our that natural change kind of as we age and our priorities change. So what I mean by that is if I think about me, particularly this time of year as we were recording just before Christmas, you know, in my 20s, my work-life balance, it was more important for me to finish early and go to the pub with my mates. Whereas as I've aged a little bit since my 20s, it's now more important for me to work for myself, to be based from home, to get more time with the family and have that greater flexibility. And I think for me, you know, without a crystal ball, I think moving forward, I see that my life work balance will be more about me having holidays and working less 
So I think that life, work, balance priorities change as people progress. And I think that's what makes it misunderstood. And I think we're perhaps too slow to realise that there is such a thing as a life-work balance. Because when you get into the workforce for the first time, you know, we're encouraged, work long hours, get noticed, start to progress, take on more responsibility. And we sometimes get blinkered into thinking that we have to work harder, not smarter, to actually be promoted and progress. And it takes takes somebody very brave, particularly in those kind of formative years as they start to progress, to say, no, actually, my life is about me and I'm not going to stay for that over time and I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. And I think we sometimes get imposed on us the stuff that our bosses did. You know, I'm sure every, it certainly happened to me. I bet it's happened to you and I bet most people listen to this. I've had a boss say to them, this is how I did it. I didn't have this. And it's almost a bit this badge of honour, isn't it, that I've had to do it, so so should you. I do think, and but this isn't at all an opportunity for me to kind of bash organisations in any shape or form. Because I think organisations need more help to understand what that life-work balance is. And I think be supported by people to really help them to understand the benefits that they get from it. And what I mean by that is I think it's very hard for an organisation to really, really, truly, genuinely care about their employees' lives because they've got shareholders to appease, they've got customers to serve, they've got money to make to pay said employee. So I think individuals in businesses really care and can be very people focused i think it's very hard for organizations and i think unless you've got that kind of you know altruistic business leader and somebody who leads it from a kind of anthropological point of way um or you've got a really influential people director for argument's sake sitting on the board it's really hard for organizations to embrace it so i think if organizations can look at that more in terms of the work-life balance and I think maybe look at it as much as they can from an individual point of view. So that bit I said earlier about it was more important things for me when I was younger. Now it's a different kind of thing. And I think I really encourage organisations don't be afraid of saying, well, okay, this is what this person needs right now. And I'll share a very personal experience for me that in a previous organisation that I've worked at, when I shared that I was having mental health issues, my boss was fantastic, really supportive, encouraged me to talk, encouraged me if I needed time for counselling or whatever it might be. The employer that I worked for at the time did nothing. And I mean absolutely nothing. And do you know what, to be fair, I think that's a bit because they didn't know what to do. And they didn't, they were perhaps afraid of saying, Tim, is this what you need? Or, or in case I felt, in case I turned around and said, well, you're putting me under pressure now and you're doing this and you're doing that. So I think it's, it, engage in organisations with, with people or other organisations that can help them to see actually look at it from an individual point of view, look at what each of the employee needs, you know, I don't know, create a rewards or wellbeing package that allows you to tap in and out of it, that allows the 20 odd year olds free hangover cures if there is such a thing and you know the the older or, or whatever whatever age it may be that needs something different, just give them that chance to kind of uh, look at what's really needed for them. I think for me the key is to put yourself first and it's amazing that how so many cliches come true as you get more life experience you know this thing of like you only get one life look after number one family is the most important thing your closest friends will always be there for you all of those things i see are absolutely coming true they were probably always true i just didn't realize it and it's that i think if organizations and some individuals if they accept that a life work balance is something that everyone wants Firstly, more importantly, something that everyone deserves. I think by making your work environment focus on people's lives, 
those organisations will organically develop more committed, happier, healthier, and therefore more productive workforces. I love that you have a different view. In fact, pretty much all of my guests have a, a different view on, on work-life balance. And in part, that's, that's what I set out to do, was to get different views, because the old model like a lot of the models that, that you know, we still have in organizations today, they, they're not fit for purpose. They're not delivering what they used to deliver. I think the key for me out, out, out of everything that you, you shared there and, and the personal element as well is not being afraid to look at things from an individual perspective. Yes, businesses have to have policies or, or processes in place you know, as a general rule or a starting point. But when it comes to well-being, when it comes to wellness, balance, mental health, all of those things, it is a very personal thing. And one size certainly won't fit all. Uh, and I can see through, you know, the research and the companies that I've been into this year, there is a, a genuine desire to want to change. In some yeah. cases, they're just not sure where to start. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... You know, a lot of people around talk about this and think sometimes that where to start is ask your employees, ask them what they think they need. And I don't mean send a survey out and tick this box and choose from these five options because really you're not giving them an option. You want to give them the option that you are of those five options or whatever. So I think talk to people, you know, if you know, organisations that function properly will know the people that have perhaps had mental health issues, will know the people who are parents. And it's maybe, you know, this, this great focus group approach that we take is maybe getting around and just say, what would make this better for you? Do you know, it's quite interesting. I had, I had a very personal example of this recently with, with my wife. So my wife's worked for the same organization for nearly 20 years. And they've always done the Christmas do, free bar, great time, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, two years ago, they changed their approach. Um, maybe by... Uh, accident um, and what they did was say well we're not going to have a Christmas do this year and then what they did was gave everybody a hundred pound in a Christmas card and my wife to my surprise said that's the best thing that they've done because they said some teams have spent it on themselves for my wife and I it was a nice little Christmas bonus and helped all the Christmas kids presents and all that kind of stuff but I think that what really stuck with me was that element of actually yeah it's not always about the obvious free bar, let's all have a good time. Sometimes it's just that more personal touch. And if you want to go and piss that up the wall, that's up to you. <laughs> or if you want to buy somebody's Christmas present for it, or you want to put it in the bank or whatever, that's entirely up to you. So, like I said, I think that that happens by accident. But hearing my wife's view on that, who is somebody who enjoys the party, was, was he really turned my head and thought, actually, yeah, this, it's just that those little things are sometimes saying, we're going to do something a little bit different here and give you that more of a personal touch. Because I think the message for me was that was up to them what they did with that £100 as opposed to here's a party that you either go and get the benefit or you don't go and get nothing. So, yeah, it really struck a chord with me that. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right because, that's, you know, all of a sudden you have a choice. And for those people that, you know, 
either perhaps don't don't like a drink or you know don't want to necessarily extend those relationships with their colleagues <laughs> to out of the workplace because they've got family and they want to get a home and that's their driver that's their motivation all of a sudden you know actually the value of that 100 pound is far more than what 100 pound is worth because of how you know people actually decide to use it themselves yeah so yeah i, I think for me whenever possible look at that how can we make it as individual as possible i love it now let's get into uh finding out a little bit more about you then tim so okay moving away from a traditional job title describe what it is that you do and why people want to work with you interact with you follow you whatever it might be so my purpose is to make people think uh, I work with individuals and organisations, create an environment where they can develop themselves. And I think that's a really big focus for me is people develop themselves. You use that word choice there. I think that's a big thing for me in terms of that, that purpose of making people think. It's enabling people to see what their choices are and exactly how they want to develop themselves. So my work is primarily focused on enabling people and organisations to recognise what they are in control of and ignite or reignite their enthusiasm for themselves and their work. There's a focus for me in terms of working with leaders um, to get their teams enthused to deliver those business results. And the reason the focus on leaders is because I love leaders. Uh, having been a leader myself for a long time, shall we say, uh, I think those leaders have the best opportunity to really influence everybody in the workplace and to really enable people to achieve what it is they want to achieve to truly enjoy what they do and then to positively influence others so you know my brand is enthused coaching and training and that's very much at the heart of everything i do it's looking at how, how do we work with individuals to help them to take control to then maintain that enthusiasm that they have for their role and getting out of bed in the morning and on all of those people that work around them um, some of the work I'm doing at the moment particularly focused on working with leaders, teams and organisations and answering that question, what do you stand for? And a lot of that is linked to them either creating or re-engaging their purpose and their values uh, and creating that, that culture that not only defines the desired behaviours for the, uh, the organisation to make them successful and then working with those organisations to enable them to coach those behaviours to bring to life the culture that they want to work in. I think for me, you know, that that's what that's that's what engagement is. We all know that engagement leads to improved performance, to continued business success, to continued individual job satisfaction, enjoyment, success. But, you know, if you think about engagement, for me, that's going to a place of work. Remember, we spend more time at work than anywhere else. I'm all for the vast majority of people who are going into that workplace. And imagine that workplace is somewhere where you can go. And you can behave in a way that demonstrates what you stand for and that that behavior is what makes you successful. That's engagement, not joining a business and being told these are the values and this is what you must demonstrate. Now, let's give organizations credit. Most of them will choose appropriate values and human values. However, there's no way you can guarantee that those values are the same for every employee that you employ, whether you employ 16,000 people around the world or whether you employ 16 people. It's different people. So I think that's the, the key kind of focus for my work is working with leaders, organizations, teams, individuals to help them to create that environment for themselves where they can see what it is that enthuses them, what they're excited about, 
what do they stand for? And then whatever their organization puts on the wall to tell them that that's what the values are, actually I can live by these values and be successful and that's what's going to keep me engaged. I think from a practical point of view in terms of how I do that, so I'm a coaching facilitator, so I coach individuals, teams, uh, or facilitating learning experiences. The key focus there for me is I underpin everything with a coach mindset. So coaching skills can be used in every conversation that you have because this thing's about making people think and also align that with underpinning it with emotional intelligence and developing emotional intelligence. And the reason for that is because I believe emotional intelligence will get you further in life than anything else. So from a practical point of view, it's really about coaching and facilitating those experiences to really drive. I had an experience a few years ago around personal effectiveness and what it actually is and it really struck a chord with me so for me there's that real focus on whatever I'm coaching or facilitating learning it's about giving the control back to the individuals because again going back to the word you used before we have a choice we can choose how we behave we can choose the questions that we ask we can choose how well we listen how well we respect and how well we adhere to the principles and values that are important to us um, and it's funny actually answering that question because obviously you again you know I've listened to this podcast and I've heard other guests struggle to answer that and I think when I was thinking about that and talking through there I struggled too and, and I think it's funny isn't it because I guess you almost just do what you do and don't often stop to think about it and I think because now I work out you know I work for myself I'm outside of organisation so you've got the job title the reporting line the hierarchy so you almost kind of don't stop to think about what you do or how to articulate it. So that's a great question to ask because it really makes people think about what we do. And that's exactly why I ask it because we, it, certainly in the corporate world, we are governed or, or limited by, by what our title is. And that's how we introduce ourselves to other people. That's how we converse with other people. I think when you step away from, from the corporate space, all of a sudden, you know, your, your job title doesn't carry the same weight or same kudos. So it does then become very much about, so what do you do? And, and what you've described there is everything that you do, also why you do it that way and how you do it. And I think that's much more powerful than introducing yourself and saying, hi, my name's Tim. Uh, I'm a managing director for my own training company. I train and coach people. Wow. Okay. Another one of them. And, 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 you know, we're in a similar space, you know, I, I train and coach people, I facilitate. And I think it, it becomes even more powerful when you understand your why and then kind of yeah, yeah. it in the way that you've done. But you're right. Some guests struggle. Yeah. And I think even the, you know, the traditional person, if I can, in an organization, often you meet them. It's a classic analogy, isn't it? A dinner party, if anybody actually has any of them anymore where you kind of say, well, what do you do? And it's a bit like, uh, I'm a customer service manager. All right, great. You know, what, what do you do in that job? Uh, I'm on this customer service. And it's a bit like we forgot what we do because I just turned up and I opened my emails. Then I fill out something on the spreadsheet. Then I go to a meeting. Then I go to another meeting. Then I have my dinner. Then I meet a client. Or then I meet a customer. Then I go to this. Then I go home and then I go back to, you know, eat, sleep, repeat kind of thing. So it is... You're right, I think it's a really important question for anybody to ask, whether you are coaching facilitator, CEO, customer service manager, whatever, to actually say, well, this is what I do. Because 
that's often a question I ask, and that's what I think is what you stand for, because actually that's what you should be doing no matter what your job is. There's some things you have to accept are difficult or that you know this utopian world doesn't actually exist in terms of the world of work. So I think it's that element of, of realigning that back to this is what I stand for. And actually, as long as I'm doing that every day, if an organisation enforces this to me, that's okay. I'll accept that because that's outside of my control. This is what I do. So, you know, this is why I love leaders. Because actually, as a leader, what you do is represent other people. What you do is give your time to other people. And I'm not getting into whether they're good or bad bosses. As a leader, you take that responsibility for representing and leading other people. So I think it's important that whatever your job title is, don't ever be afraid to say, actually, I'm a leader because I lead 15 people. I lead one person. I am a leader of people. Why not? Why, why don't we say that? That's what you do. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's this perception in some cases that, that leadership is exclusive and it's only for those people that, that are higher up in an organisation. Whereas actually there's another train of thought that says, well, each and every one of us has certain leadership skills that when we share them and display them can have a real positive or sometimes negative impact on those around us. And it's just being yeah. conscious that you don't have to be a designated leader in your title to demonstrate leadership. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. It is more about those behaviours and again living by those values that you stand for now unbeknownst to anybody else and i'm going to share it on a podcast now that question was born out of a meeting and and, and an event that i went to back in 2009 where the speaker right. challenged us the audience to go and introduce yourself to other people in the room and instead of using your job title focus solely on what you do and because because i found him the most interesting person in the room he was the first person I went up to and he was, he was a speaker. He was a, a, a trainer. He was a, a writer, but he never, he never shared any of those. I went up, I shook his hand and he said, hi, my name's Nicholas Bates and I change people's lives. And straight away he got me because it yeah. didn't matter what I was going to say, and I prepared it because I thought, right, I'm going to go and speak to him first. It didn't matter because he completely floored me. And yeah. it, it, it served me well initially when I went into business because people would ask me, well, what do you do? And at the time, I didn't have that same degree of confidence in what I was doing to say that I changed people's lives. So often I would introduce myself and people would say to me, so what, what do you do, Jeff? And I'd be like, well, I, I, I changed the way people think. And straight away, people were like, well, how do you do that? And then before I knew it, I got talking about hypnosis. Um, and then that, that's where the conversation went off. And we ended up talking about Dan Brown and Paul McKenna. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, it's funny, though, because that is a brilliant example, because the guy who says I changed people's lives, he's changed your life because you remember that. And you now do a podcast, you talk about it. And when you say to people, I changed the way people think, as soon as you've said that, you've, you've changed the way they think. Because now they're thinking, how does Jeff do that? How could I do that? Or should I change the way I think? Whereas if we just go, yeah, I'm a trainer or I'm a HR director, you know what it's like. And, and then we just end up moaning, don't we? So you're absolutely right. Actually do challenge the way people think and, and say it as it is. This, is. this is what I do. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's the first time I've ever shared it, and 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 actually I, I've I've shared it with individuals because it was that powerful, and and it 
it just stopped me in my tracks. And there was there was nothing different necessarily about what this guy did. He just had the ability with his language to stop you in your tracks and provoke thought. And then you wanted to know more, which, you know, when, when you're speaking, you've got an audience. When you've got your audience in that space, it's hugely powerful. Yeah, I mean, I have this big belief or view, whatever you want to call it, that we have to be very, very careful that we don't become oppressed in our lives. Now, that can be quite a big word to use because of, rightly, people who have been racially, sexually, religiously oppressed over the years. But what I mean by that is this element of we can become socially oppressed where, oh, I better not say what I really think or I better just go, I'm a HR director. And then there's this element of we can be kind of oppressed by the workplace that we're in. Well, you just come to work and you do that and then the same will happen. You know what it's like here. It's, it's just the way. Or we become self-oppressed where I better not say what I actually do because you might think I'm a weirdo or you might think I'm a bit uh, up myself. And the reality of it is, you know, actually, if you tell the truth and say, yeah, this is what I do, I'm a leader of people, we can go through the practicalities that you're a manager of this decline there, but actually that's what you do. And I, I always have this thing really where, I don't know, you watch something that inspires you or you love a particular tune or whatever it might be, so you listen to things that inspire you. You watch a film or you watch a sporting story and that feeling kind of builds up inside of you. Well, you can get that from everyday people. You can get that from doing your job. And I always think that this kind of self-oppression comes from, actually the only time I feel inspired is when I watch children in need or when I watch a sporting triumph or when I read a story of somebody who's overcome real oppression and I get that warm, fuzzy feeling and I think I want to do something. I'll do something then. Don't, don't just go to bed and wake up the next morning and go, here I'm just HR director. That feeling that you get, you can get from your job, I don't care what you do, by enabling to make the right choices and make the decisions and really think about what it is that you do the influence that you have. You can get that feeling when you go home, you know, and in whatever way you achieve that. So, you know, that, that feeling of real inspiration, motivation doesn't belong to the television or to the CD or the record or the digital download that you're listening to. It belongs to everybody because that feeling is, is, a, is a human feeling generated by your actions and then therefore the reaction that you prompt to other people. So, yeah, it's not... It's not exclusive to Teddy Wogan and the children in need and all these sport. You know, go out and do something. I, I always, I always make the laugh when you know a song comes on and someone goes, "I love this song. It played at my wedding." And like, how often do you listen to it? Oh, I don't know. I've forgotten about it. If you love it, listen to it more because the feeling, the emotional link it has from you, that's yours. It's your choice to have that. So yeah, that, I'm a big believer of that. Don't don't allow it. Don't don't become self oppressed because whatever motivation inspires you, do it more often. I agree. And, and there's, there's a whole host of things running through my head from uh, job descriptions to, to Sunday best. Um, you know, we issue people with job descriptions when they arrive in an organisation. But actually, do we ever go back over them as individuals yeah. or managers? Do, do we ever hold yeah. people to their job description? Very yeah. rarely. So, you know, we, yes, we are looking for specific things. But actually, when you're in that role... You know, in most cases, you know, you've been hired because of your expertise and, and what you can do. So go and do it. Don't hold back. Yes. And the yes. Sunday best. You know, I, I was brought up that you always wore your best clothes on a Sunday. Well, you know, why? 
<laughs> Life doesn't have to be that. There's a lot of these, yeah. you know, things that we used to do, a lot of the models and a lot of the behaviours that we used to do, and then they served that generation or the previous generation well. But you know, there's never been a better time to put yeah. that put that music on that you love yeah. and enjoy. Get those emotions going. Wear clothes that. that you feel great in. Absolutely. Spend the time with the people that you can walk away from these bad. It's, it's the C word, isn't it? Change. So. We do things because it's a tradition. So I wear my Sunday best on a Sunday because that's what the parents told me to do. That's what the world do. That's what we believe to be acceptable. However, what really drives inspiration and success is change. When somebody says, no, I'm going to do this differently, or when somebody says, no, I'm going to change because I'm going to stand up for this, what I believe in, or when somebody says, actually, there's a better way of doing this, so I'm going to change it, that's the inspiration. They're the stories. They're the, they're the films and the documentaries that get made about people who've done something different. But we find we have this inbuilt thing as humans to go, change, change is bad. I'll just do what everybody else is doing. And it's funny, actually, because for me, recently, and um, when I start talking about mental health issues, and particularly when I've gone to work for myself and chased what I love, actually, my friends and family have not questioned it, I've not said, you're an idiot, you must be mad, why don't you just get a job? What they've said is, I, I'm actually really proud of you, I really admire you, I wish I'd maybe thought of that actually, can I work for you? And, and, and encourage you to do it, so it, it's funny isn't it that we sometimes get afraid of doing it, but when you do it, you actually get the rewards from it, so yeah, it's that we're afraid of change, but change is what makes us successful. Yeah, no, no one ever followed, you know, all the normal behaviour and thought, this is great, let's carry on doing what we're doing. You know, there are those innovators, disruptors, thought provokers uh, and changers that, that are making things happen. And that, you know, you yourself and the journey you're on with, with you know, working for yourself, that will inspire many other people in, in, in your friend group, your, your family to think, what if I could do that? What would I do? What would yeah. You know what would I need to do, and and you know when you start to speak to people and and ask people, they'll they'll share information with you, they'll share their story with you, and all of a sudden, it doesn't become this huge thing that we're trying to achieve. It becomes something that's a lot more manageable, that we're a lot more comfortable. Yeah, comfortable. yeah. and I think it's funny because people do naturally follow leaders of change, whether that's because you're an entrepreneur and you want to work with them or because they've done something for the first time and you're in that industry and you, you like the way that they've done something or uh, kind of follow their example. However, we're sometimes hesitant to actually change things for ourselves. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world, I think, really, isn't it, from that point of view, of just taking that step and actually challenging yourself to say, actually, all the people I admire is because they've made change and because they've done this, so what could I change? Absolutely. Now, Tim, you've got a wealth of experience in the world of learning and development, and you've alluded to some of that already. Uh, I know you've spoken on, on a number of, of stages, and, and you and I shared a, a stage down in London in September for, for Disrupt HR. Yeah. What, what's prompted you to you know, take that step and leave the corporate world, and, and for you then to make that decision to, you know, develop your own business in Fuse? Probably the, I'm going to say this, to do what I love doing. Uh, that, that, is, that is the absolute driver for me. 
uh, happiness outweighs any bank balance as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know I'm a massive music lover and there's a lyric that's really stuck me recently by a lad called Jerry Cinnamon and he sings about making money till there's no time left to spend. That's all bullshit, but we all still pretend. And it really stuck a chord with me because I think we do, don't we? We, we, we? We're in danger of living in a world where the only thing you work for is a pension. And by the way, how much that pension's worth and when you get it is determined by somebody else, <laughs> whether it's your employee pension fund or the government. So I think for me, particularly over the last five or ten years, be it becoming a parent, be it getting into L&D, becoming a coach, for me it was always about, okay, I found this thing that I love doing, I'm good at it, that's what I want to do. I want to spend at least the next 20 years of my life doing something that I love, that I'm in control of and I can make that decision. And I believe that I can help organisations to improve themselves and, and improve individuals and give leaders that best environment where they can really be themselves. And I think, look, for me, the, the journey I've been on in the last five or ten years where I've got to work with so many great people, through going through being coached myself, through going on different learning journeys, be it through qualifications or just be it through personal development, reading books, whatever it may be, I've been able to see that I can make choices, I can change my thinking, I can ask questions, I can become more effective. And this is probably maybe a very kind of traditional or simple example, but often in workplaces you talk to people who, in, in our line of work, where you're in learning development, oh, rubbish is time management, I need some time management training. And when you kind of say, okay, well, what is it that you want to get better at? What are the key things that challenge you? What can you do to improve your time management? Well, nothing. What can I do? Well, there's absolutely, <coughs> excuse me, lots that you can do. And I think what I found is when I've gone through that coaching and those learning experiences, I've really bought into I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to get better. And by doing that, I found the world of work became better for me. And there was a big realisation for me that, okay, if I've experienced that, what could I do that allows others to get that kind of opportunity? And okay, selfishly, it's doing something that I love. And well, hey, if, if I don't choose to do what I love, somebody else will choose what I'm doing for me. So I think, you know, I've, I've learned, I think on that journey, there's been a big realisation that I've learned some things about myself. Um, I wasn't put on this earth to fit in. Um, I read a lovely quote recently by JFK where he said, conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. And I really, that really resonated with me because I just feel I, I wasn't put on this earth to fit in or to be told what to do. This took me to the age 40 to realise that. However, I've now realised that. Um, and I think for me, I don't, I don't want to spend the peak years of my career doing a job that I maybe don't really care about for an organisation or organisations that perhaps don't really care about me. And I think one of the things that made me realise that is an ex-boss of mine, when I was leaving a big organisation, um, on my last day, he was the day he came to see me, bless him, and he, and he said to me, um, how long have you been here now, Tim, and all that kind of stuff? And I said, oh, I've been here for six years. And um, he said to me, oh, crack. He said, yeah. And he was thinking about it. And he said to me, do you know what he said? I've been here for 27 years, and I don't know if it's all been worth it. 
and it really it hit me like a cricket bat. And, and I think the bit that I walked away with going, wow, I don't want to say that about myself. I don't want to be saying that to my kids when they're in their 30s, 40s and asking me for advice. And I'm going, well, actually, I stayed in the same place and I don't know if it's worth it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people who stay in the same organisation who love it. They're very successful and they're very much still part of those organisations after they retire. However, for me, it was more about kind of taking control. And I've seen that with my own personal examples. Both my dad was poorly through a result of his job, through stress. My father-in-law um, only ever worked for one organisation and during his 50s, he suffered, you know, with, with depression, with, with ill health. And a lot of that was because of the organisation that he was in and that realisation of, actually, I wish I'd done something different. And look, it's not for me to judge or say that their situation was good, bad or indifferent. The only thing I can do is decide what right now feels right for me and what right now gives me the best chance to be in control and to really give me the best chance of living the life that I want to, to live. And I think for me, that was that realisation of, of really taking control and kind of saying, well, do you know what? I can run my own business. Well, it cost me 12 quid to set it up on Company's House. GoDaddy are brilliant with a website. I can do all of those things that we see other people doing for business point of view. What I'm actually going to be doing is the thing that I'm good at. You know, I'm not just starting out here. I'm just deciding to do the thing I've done for a long time for myself and to give me that kind of wider audience, if I'm honest. Um, you know, again, maybe selfishly, that's what I wanted to do is work with a number of different organisations, both either directly as a client of mine or through the associate work that I'm doing, to give me that kind of wider audience and really go after those kind of life experiences because that's what life's about, and it? it is about experiences and whether your favourite experience is watching telly, reading a book or travelling the world, that's up to you. What i found is my greatest experience in life is, is coaching people, creating that environment for them to develop themselves. So I think there's a real bit of, I don't know, an epiphany or a moment, whatever you want to call it, of that, okay, I've got a choice here and I can choose to let the fear rule me and stay in the jobs that I'm doing now, which I love. You know, L&D is the best job in the world and I've worked for some amazing organisations and some amazing people. Or... I can grow some balls and go, do you know what? All those other people that I network with are doing what, what I want to do. That's my dream. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to follow my dream and then give me that opportunity to work with like-minded people and work with people who really want to develop themselves. So I think going right back to that, it is about doing what you love. And I hear so many people tell me that that's the most important thing in life. And I agree. So I think it is about giving yourself that opportunity to do that for at least the next 20 years. And it's wonderful to hear and it's wonderful to see, albeit the listeners can't see you, because there's a real energy and a real passion that that comes through in what you're saying. This isn't, you know, a, an epiphany as such where, you know, you've heard somebody speak and then you've woken up the following morning and thought, right, this is it. This is the moment. You know, you, you've got a lot of experience. You've got a family as well. You've got a great support network around you. You know, the easiest thing, again, would have been just, just carried on doing what you're doing. But actually, there's, there's a real fire there in terms of wanting to, you know, put yourself out there and, and to have a go and to see what happens. Because I would imagine, regardless of how it turns out, you will embrace it, you will enjoy it, and you'll be able to look back 
at whatever point and say, I did it rather than one of those people that, that do, you know, in a lot of cases reach retirement, but then turn around and say, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. Maybe yeah. I could have been a bit yeah. more adventurous. Maybe I could have took a risk, but you know, I'm here now. It's too late. My time's passed. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the, the bit for me, uh, I'm sure my wife won't mind me sharing this. The, the epiphany moment, if you like, was one night when I got in from work, was moaning like you do, you know, when you ask that great question, how was your day or how was work? And you almost wince as you ask it, don't you? Because you think, oh, here we go. And uh, I was doing the thing, the moaning, and I can't do this, this happened, this happened, this and that. And it just kind of got talking. My wife just turned around and she went, well, what are you going to do about this dream of yours then? Because obviously I'd shared with my wife that, you know, this, this was my dream and this was something I wanted to look for. And, it, and it, it was great because I think for me that was that bit of, wow, that's the person in this world cares about me more than anybody. And she sat there encouraging me to take the risk. She sat there actually saying, what are you going to do about it? All right, maybe there's a bit of she's thinking, God, I wish you'd start bloody moaning. Um, but that question prompted that. And actually I was, I was speaking about this with my coaching supervisor recently. What my coaching supervisor said is don't lose sight of the fact in that you prompted that by having the conversation, by first telling your wife what your dream is and what you want to do. And that, that allowed her to say that. So I think the right there is that bit of me actually, when you get those thoughts in your head saying, actually, yeah, I do want to work myself and I want to follow a dream, talking about it, that allowed my wife to kind of turn around and say that. And I, I fully buy into that. Milton uh, Erickson view that I was introduced to from my NLP practitioner. Life will bring you pain all by itself. Your responsibility is to create joy. And I just totally buy into that. I think absolutely right. Something will happen tomorrow, won't it? <laughs> you know? It's the classic bumper sticker about certain things will happen. And it is that bit of thing about, okay, well, how do I take control? And I do, how do I go and find joy? Because there's not a human being a decent human being in this world who doesn't enjoy joy. It's different things for everybody. Human beings loves that feeling of joy, loves doing what they're doing. So yeah, that was a bit for me, is just go for it. I'm a big believer. There's only one way in finding out, doing it. Absolutely. And you know, what, what I'm smiling about is that it's, it's becoming a bit of a theme in terms of the podcast and the guests that have been on, you know, in the previous series, series two, there was a number of them that talked about, you know, either finding joy in what you do or doing what makes your heart sing, you know, going for it, you know, getting some clarity around, you know, the types of things that you'd, you'd, you'd rather be doing or, or fill you with energy and, and those types of things. And it's not for everybody. However, you, you're a good example of somebody that, that's, you know, worked in that corporate world for, for a large proportion of your career yet you found the the courage to have those conversations initially with your wife and then the people around you and then you put you put plans in place to allow you to you know go and do what you love and enjoy but on your terms rather than as as, as part of the organizations that you've been working with. yeah yeah tim who have been some of the great teachers or encouragers along the way Oh, now that's a question that makes you think. There's probably a few probably different examples for me, and I'm not kind of going to categorise them or anything. I think, first of all, my parents, 
And I think what they've taught me, I think the big thing that resonates with what the parents have taught me is this element of they've done it through role modelling and, and kind of instilling real human values in us. You know, they, they, my mum or dad have never been ones to sit us down and tell us that this is what's important and this is what you should do. They've just demonstrated that in the way that they deal and treat other people. And they've always given us little messages about, you know, your friends are really important and treat people with respect and et cetera, et cetera. But I think just seeing them, and as you get older, you start to understand some of the things that they've really been through in life because parents, we do that brilliant thing of shielding our kids, don't we? So I think my parents, I think, very much through how what they've done and how they've lived their lives. I've, I am immeasurably lucky to have both worked with people and had amazing people that I've had either coaching with or amazing learning experiences, people like Jimmy Petrucci, uh, Nova Ferguson, Rob, Rob Johnson, Kareem Lamont, people like that have had a massive influence on me. People in my network, people like Danny Seals and Joe Byrne, they've been immense for me. I think people that I've worked with as well, including people like Martin Hesker, Zoe Sinclair, and people like Leela Piotrowska. Now, I appreciate I'm just kind of throwing names out there. However, they are very personal to me. And, and if anybody hears those names and goes and connects with them, fantastic. I think what I've taken from all of them is very much their kind of advice, the patience, the guidance, and I think above all, the people who I've named there is that kind of humility and that kind of plain old human values. Um, and I think I've, I'd include in that as well, therefore, people like my wife, uh, our kids, my sister, who is always known as our kids. She's in my phone as our kids. Tells you a lot about where I'm from, I think. Uh, and my closest friends, and I think particularly when I've um, needed them or had to have conversations, you know, they have kind of supported me and encouraged me and <laughs> really reminded me that for all the dickheads out there, we do all have our own amazing group of people who are there for us. And the reason I kind of, I guess I thought about that really is that sometimes we only consider in inverted commas our teachers to be those who, I don't know, inspire us on the television or who we saw give a motivational speech or literally our teachers. Um, life is full of people who teach you. Uh, and I think for me as well, sometimes it's more often to how they do things and not what they do or what they give us that are the real lessons and the inspiration we take from them. Um, I mean, maybe I just believe in people. Um, I think sometimes there's a bit as well of not losing sight of the teachers of the people that you never meet. So, you know, who are your biggest influences? So for me, I've kind of got three big influences in my life, and that's football, I could maybe shorten that to sport really, music and literature. And I think for me, anybody in that, that world who, because I've listened to the music, have bought their books, read their books, I should say, or they've achieved things um, in the sporting world, I think they can teach you an awful lot because of the mindset that they applied. Again, going back to this element of success is these people who make changes you know that's what music is all about isn't it she david bowie she paul wellers you all know your people who said we're going to do something different and we're going to go for it you know and then look at the influence that that's had and i think anybody who has the courage to write a book and put in there their thoughts they're the people that really kind of 
teach me or I see them as that kind of inspiration because I think, you know, going back to what I said before, for me, the most influential people in the world do what they love and have conversations and put it out there that this is what I think and this is the reason why. So, yeah, no number of different people, like I say, I mean, when I... When I answer that question and kind of hear myself talking, it just brings me back that I, I, I am very, very lucky. And I think the message I would give to anybody is, you know, maybe ask yourself that question and actually maybe write it down. Because I think when you asked me that question, that was the one that made me think about it most. And, you know, just saying those names fills you with pride and humility that you know these people. And again, remind you to engage with those elements that inspire you. So, yeah, I really encourage people to ask yourself that question. and. and look at what you can do to find that inspiration from those people. And I love that you have listed a number of people that from a listener perspective, they'll have no idea who they are. <laughs> and, and I love the fact that you've also listed with, within there things like sport, music and literature, because the reality is we, we are being influenced all the time and we will have had some great teachers, albeit, you know, they're not the traditional teachers. And in a lot of cases, we, we won't have met them. And, and, and I always listen with intent when guests are sharing who their great teachers have been, because in some ways, that, that's what I'm wanting the listener to go away, as you just said there, and ask themselves that question. Because yeah. it was a question that I, I asked myself unconsciously or indirectly when, when I was made redundant back in 2014 I wrote down the names of all the people that I'd had some interaction that I knew or who I thought may be able to spare me five minutes or help me in some way now I can share today on the podcast that they, that included on that list people like Mike Pegg who was the very first guest on the show yeah like Jim Lawless who's written Taming Tigers who I've met a couple of times now we've had yeah. you know many conversations and it also included people like Kirsty Mack, who, you know, was I did a lot of my training with her back in 2008 and 2009. And, and the reality for me, without necessarily knowing at that point, was there were people around me, as well as the, you know, the, the family support and network that I had around and the friends as well. But there were other people that if I, if I felt the need to get in touch with, they would come back to me, they would respond, they would reply. And, and, you know, before you know it, you're having conversations with different people, which then provoke different thoughts and off you go. Yeah, it, I, I can really relate to that. I think that's a bit resonating with me I've gone through this journey of, of kind of living my dream is that I've reached out to people who have some of those names or somebody who I'd like to say I might have met on a course or I might have just listened to a podcast with it. And it's overwhelming how much those people are willing to give whether it's just a message back to encourage you whether it's to have a conversation and give you some advice it's unbelievable and i think we you know this bit of i, I when i'm facilitating learning particularly talking about this personal effectiveness i always kind of say to people never give any other human being the opportunity to say to you why didn't you tell me because absolutely people want to know, they want to know, and, and, and it gives them the choice to say, I can help you, I'd love to help you, I can do this for you, or I think you're an idiot, what are you asking me for? But it gives them the choice, doesn't it? And it's that awful bit, isn't it, that you know, in relationships, in teams, in wherever it might be, 
why didn't you tell me that? So straight away there's an element of actually if we talk to people and we, we put it out there and we ask for help, they're absolutely there. And you know, the the, the music thing, I mean crack him I could say this into a music podcast, but um it was Gavin Oates, wasn't it? it on was. your podcast. Yes. Where he was talking about, you know, go back and think about the album that changed your life and you know, think about that. And I think music for me not only is something I'm obsessed with and spend far too much money on buying records. Um, it, it does have an, an emotional connection um, for people, whether it's because it's one track that was played at a wedding or a funeral or was the number one when you were born or the first record you bought, whatever it might be, or there's times in your life when you listen to a particular album. You know, and, and a good friend of mine, we, we talk about that often. God, yeah, when, when the album's out, this is what we were doing. And, you know, I remember that because this is what I did. And it, so, yeah, I, I think for me, if you... It, music's a thing for me, but I don't know, you've had guests when they talk about photography, you know, writing, cooking, exercise, whatever it may be. If you know that it has that most attachment, don't lose sight of what that has kind of helped you to to teach. Um, but yeah, music's massive for me. So if anybody from Radio 4 is listening, get me on Desert Island Discs. <laughs> I, I think you're great on Desert Island Discs, I really do. I, I think you'd enjoy it more than the guests, so that's the, that's the I danger. Would, I would. <laughs> Excellent, Tim. Now I have, as you well know, because I know you're a listener into the show, what I call some 60-second quick-fire questions towards the end of each episode. And this is really just to give the listeners a a slightly different flavour of of, of the guests and and also show that, you know, they're real and they're human and they've got different tastes as well. So are you ready to answer some uh, quick-fire questions? Ball ready, Jeff. Let's do it. Top man. First one then. Social media platform of choice if you could only use one. If I could only use one, LinkedIn, because that has given me access to people like you. It has given me a huge network and I think it's the one that I get the most from in terms of articles and resources. And I think it's I think just by default it's the one where people are more than true selves. I do think there's some people who are not and use it as a way of just saying, look at me. Um, but I always think if you like, if your Twitters, your Facebooks, um, I'm not on Instagram or Snapchat, so um, where I mean, we're parents, so I can talk about this, this bit of, you know, people only ever put on there about my child has achieved this and we've had this amazing day without this amazing holiday. They don't put on there that I've had a massive nuclear tantrum off my six-year-old because she wouldn't put the shoes on that we'd go out for her. Or that you know we've just been mortally embarrassed in Tesco because they decided to have a complete meltdown, and that is true life. I think it might be Jim Lawless actually said on one of his podcasts about when you leave the door, or your your social personality should match the personality of you when you leave the door. And I really believe in that. So I think yeah, LinkedIn. I think just because of the area that we work in, I think there's a lot of really, really, really good positive influences on there. Good stuff. Someone that you admire and admit to following on social media? Uh, it's a bit of a strange one, really, because there's almost this bit of kind of not wanting to admit this because of the potential political connotations. But I don't follow this person because of political reasons. I couldn't be less interested in politics. But for me, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, I think he has 
something about him, and I think there's a very British element of him. I think he is able to make fun of himself and laugh at himself. I think there's a little bit of humility there. And I think sometimes, because of the the, the British uh, idiot that he portrays sometimes, I think because of that quality of being able to put for himself, we, what people can miss about him is just how intelligent and how articulate he is. Um, I think he's got an abundance of emotional intelligence. And I think he's got quite a fascinating background. I listened to a podcast with him where he talks about what he's done in his, his early childhood and things like that. I think he's got a really interesting background to see where he's got to today. And the book that he wrote on Winston Churchill is genuinely one of the best books I've ever read. I would encourage everyone to read it because he did that as a massive fan of Winston Churchill and wasn't afraid to share some of the questionable things that Winston Churchill did. And also wasn't afraid to question if Winston Churchill was a leader today and did those things, there would be complete there would be huge there would be a hugely different reaction to it. They would not be accepted, shall we say. So yeah, for me it'd be uh, big blonde Boris. I love it. It's different and that's what I like from, from the guests. You're gonna get something different. Okay, this one might be a tough one for you given you know what you've shared already around your love of sport, music and literature. Choose three guests to have to dinner, past or present. So clearly I'll be hosting this dinner. So my wife, my kids, and my mum and dad are there, obviously. <laughs> the additional love, I love how you shoehorned in your whole family <laughs> and they're not, on, they're not any of the I guests. Probably invite, I should probably let our kid and my brother-in-law come as well. Yeah, they're, they're all there. They're all there. You've just got three. Thank you different guests outside of your family so your whole family yeah. and even some of your close friends are there as well so let's deal with the, the sport one first um this would have been a, this has to be a choice between two knights of the realm so sir matt Busby or sir alex ferguson uh clearly giving away my football allegiance there i would go for sir alex ferguson um he give me some of the best times of my life has allowed me to travel Europe with my friends and doing something that I love. Uh, and I think beyond that, this is a guy who, you know, we all know how successful he was as a leader and all those kind of things. But this is a guy who has genuine interest outside of what he is very good at and is genuinely very generous with his time and support for people. There used to be a joke when he was manager of Manchester United that he went to more funerals in Manchester than anybody else. You know, if he had any kind of awareness that a, bit, a huge supporter had died or somebody quite a prominent in the um, community of Manchester, he would be there. Whether they were red or blue, he would be there. And I think he's he's very funny when you listen to him in interviews. So yeah, definitely Fergie. Um, Dealing with literature, I would go for Stephen Covey. Um, I've got no idea what we would talk about because Tim Roberts and Stephen Covey are very, very different people. Um, however, his is the book that did change my life. Uh, maybe cliche because Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But it did because it made me see the choices, the decisions we can make. I live my life by the circle of influence and control. Um, and I'd love to have him there just to kind of pick his brains a bit and perhaps selfishly get him to coach me around the dinner table. Uh, my final guess has to be music related. I mean, crikey, how do you decide between David Bowie, Keith Richards, um, and I would go for Paul Weller. Um, 
Lord Weller uh, as a fellow mod. I think his music is often underrated. Um, I think people lose sight of just how successful he's been in that period from the late 70s right up until today. And I think when I listen to interviews with him and read about him as I have done more and more, I think what, what I see from Weller is that he's, he's quite very spiritual, not, not in a religious way, just the way that he, again, he supports people, he's generous, and I think he very much has this outlook on life again of I'm doing what I love and why shouldn't I do that? And I think very much encourages people to say, you know, don't don't just take what you're given, go for what you really want to do. You know, and obviously songs have very good messages and everything. And it, 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 yeah, I'd just love to sit around a table with those three. Crikey, what, what a conversation that would be. <laughs> well, I don't know why you're bringing your family because they're not going to get a look in. <laughs> they're not, they're not, mate, you're right. <laughs> They'll just be serving the food and collecting the plates in at the end. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Top it up the wine. Top it up the wine. A book or a podcast that you're currently reading or listening to? Uh, I'll plump a book. So a book I'm currently reading is The Motivation Manifesto by Brendan Burchard. Uh, I wasn't aware of uh, the author, to be fair. It was uh, a friend of mine recommended it. Um, and this is about nine declarations to achieve personal freedom. So I think for me, now I work for myself, I think it's very important. Uh, and I think it just really focuses on this element of you have a choice and really following this area of how do you get to the freedom. And that, and that what you define as freedom is up to you. So it's not freedom as in I'm no longer oppressed, I'm no longer in prison. Actually the freedom in your mind really. So yeah, I would, I would strongly recommend it. Okay, you're throwing all sorts out today in terms of recommendations. <laughs> A guilty pleasure, should you view it that way, which you do when you have some time to yourself. <laughs> and the only reason I say, should you view it that way, because one of my earlier guests said, well, actually, I don't see it as a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. I was like, right, okay, so I need to reframe my question. So what do you do when you have some time to yourself? So uh, there's maybe an element of guilty because when I do this, nothing else matters. The phone can be ringing and you ain't getting an answer. And that's that bit of listening to vinyl records. Um, we've talked about music a lot. I've uh, spent a lot of money on my vinyl collection and I've gone back and, and as a mod, gone back to the 60s and all that sort of stuff. So I've had lots and lots of old 60s records. And it's that bit of, bit of silence, wife and kids are out of the house. I just put on a number, lots of different vinyl records and just kind of sit back, close my eyes and nothing else matters, absolutely nothing. And maybe maybe it's a guilty pleasure because I often play them quite loud as well. But it is that bit of just kind of disappearing into that music and what, what whatever the artist, band, musicians were where or what they were doing when they recorded that and what's going on in their lives. It's just a bit of just really kind of disappearing into it. And I think for me, it's more about the vinyl than just music per se because I love the imperfection of vinyl. So I love picking up on the little voices you can hear in the background because they were recorded in different ways so yeah it's literally shut my eyes turn my phone off turn my ipad off stick the vinyl on you've got no chance if you're knocking on the door you've got no chance <laughs> you know, but this time of year when amazon are knocking on the door every other day uh, yeah you're not kidding <laughs> <laughs> okay and final uh, guest favorite question an item that you take with you on a long journey uh, there's probably two. Um, 
music because the wonder of the digital streaming subscriptions did that well, didn't it? It allows you to take your music library wherever you go and the book, no matter where I go, whether it's on the... I was in Manchester the other day, so for me that's a train journey of 20 minutes each way and I'm straight away I've got a book out. So any kind of travelling where, where you can safely read a book and listen to music, that's absolutely it. I, I um, was recently asked on a train journey back from London and we were in a carriage with lots of kids who'd been on a school trip to London making lots of noise, like they should, because if you're a kid, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and I had my headphones and I was reading a book. And as I got off to get off at my stop, a chap who had been sat opposite me got to do the same. And he went to me, how have you just done that for that whole journey? I was like, what do you mean? He went, it's like you're oblivious to those kids. And I was like, no idea, mate. I have a music and I was reading. And that's me. That's the beauty of going on the journey for me. Any kind of travelling, headphones in, open a book. Brilliant. Now, Tim, I've got three questions that I ask my guests at the end of the show. First of all, who would you like to see and hear as a future guest on the Perfect and Balanced podcast? Yes, I would nominate um, Fiona Mackay from Lightbulb Leaders. Uh, Fiona is uh, Fiona rather is very inspirational from her own story and her approach to leadership development. I also think your podcast is a great vehicle for people to hear more about Fiona's um, hashtag feedback first campaign, for which Fiona's conducted a lot of research and is really focusing on raising people's awareness of how in feedback in the workplace there can often be a lot of unconscious bias towards females, particularly female leaders. So I think Fiona would be a fantastic guest. And Laura Swicklinski. Uh, so you and I both saw Laura talk at the recent Mindship event. Uh, and she's someone I'm hoping to work with in the future. I think she just has this great positive mindset and a really great inspirational personal story to share with your listeners. Fabulous. Well, I will come back to you on both of those and uh, we'll yeah, get that planned in for later in the year. What projects are you currently working on and how can the listeners find out more about these and generally what you're up to with Infuse? Yeah, so projects at the moment very much focusing on working with uh, individuals and organisations from a coaching point of view, whether that's, I've got some projects, whether that's either coaching individuals or creating a coaching culture within their organisation and helping those them to embed those coaching skills across leaders and teams. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, working with a number of organisations to help them to really embed that purpose and those values across the business and uh, a little bit of a focus with, with one or two clients around um, performance and helping them to kind of achieve that, that culture in the business where people can actually inspire their own performance. And starting to work with some great uh, organisations uh, from an associate work point of view. So, yeah, um, in terms of where people can find out more, uh, they can visit the website, which is nfusecoaching.com. They can connect with me on LinkedIn and they can also follow me on Twitter. So I'm at TimRoberts78 giving my age away perhaps with that. Uh, so yeah, if people want to get in the conversation with me or just find out a bit more or look at how we work together, then yeah, get in touch. Excellent. Well, I'll include, as always, those details in the show notes so people can start a conversation with you. What's your final takeaway for the listeners? Emotional intelligence will get you further in life than anything else. Beautiful. And I'm going to leave it there from a listener perspective, because I 
I've had the, the privilege, and, and it was a privilege, to hear you talk about emotional intelligence. And you, through your own experience and your own story, touched everybody in that audience or on that particular evening to the point where we now have a better understanding of emotional intelligence and, and how impactful it can be. So we'll, we'll leave it for the listeners in terms of finding out more. Uh, it'd be great to uh, have you back on the show at some point later in the year, Tim, where we can uh, understand and, and hear a little bit more about your wonderful music collection. Uh, and also, <laughs> what, yeah. now you're working for yourself, you may find you, you have a little bit more time to, to, to listen to some of those vibes. Yeah. Uh, we'll do we'll it. definitely have you back on. Thanks, Pat. I'd love to. We'll do it at a pub with a decent jukebox. There you go. Beautiful. Well, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure, <laughs> as, I, as I knew it would be, to have you on the show. Uh, I, I love what you're doing and the energy that, that, that comes with that. Um, you're doing some great stuff, and I know those organisations that you're going to be working with are going to feel the real benefit from, from your energy and, and your expertise. So thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. A huge thank you to Tim for taking the time out and agreeing to come on the show. An absolute pleasure, as always, to be able to spend some time with him. If you would like to find out more information about Tim and what he's up to with his business, Enthuse Coaching, then please do check out the show notes for details of his website and also how you can start a conversation with him on social media. Tune in next time to hear me talking with Andrea Goodridge, entrepreneur and owner of a business called Ad Florum, which focuses very much in on growing leaders through focus, confidence and resilience. Now, if you've enjoyed the show, please do continue to share it with your friends, family, loved ones, colleagues, anybody through social media. Rate and review the show. It does help us reach more listeners in the future and give people alternatives to striving for a work-life balance. If you're a business organisation and you want to get involved with partnering and sponsoring the show, please do find details on the igniteperformance.co.uk website. Until next time, remember this. When you have a balance enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success, increasing your happiness, or achieving greater fulfillment in your life. Bye for now.